Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. We continue our series that we started last week, This Is Faith, and uh, we're going to be in this for a while, and we're going to kind of hibernate a little bit. That's a good winter word for you. We're going to hibernate in the book of Hebrews. You can turn, if you want, to Hebrews chapter 12 today. We, I kind of gave you a little flyby on that last week at the end of the message. Last week we said that if you place your, cir- your faith in circumstances and your ability to interpret circumstances, that you will have a fragile faith. That as long as we judge God's goodness and his faithfulness by what is going on around us in our circumstances, that when we see disaster, when we see things go wrong in our life, and we see the circumstances, we are going to be tempted to lose faith. We said that the temptation is to look at those circumstances and to come away thinking that God doesn't love us or that God doesn't care or that he's not even there. And the temptation is to experience those kind of things and to go through them and on the back side say, you know, I'm not even sure God exists. In fact, you, you might be here today and somebody maybe invited you to church or whatever and you, you would say, you know, that's the reason I left church in the first place is they told me there was this good loving God. I started to look around at my circumstances and I didn't see anything that that would encourage me to believe that there actually was a God and that if he was real, that he loved me and cared about me. And your faith, if it is grounded in circumstances, will eventually succumb to the pressures of life or the pressures of the moral decisions that you make. And that is why God has called us to place our faith in something other than circumstances. Last week we found in Hebrews that at the, from the very beginning, God intended for us to sink our faith into a person, that person being Jesus Christ, and not in the things that are going on around us. And the reason that we can believe in Jesus, the reason we can believe in, is the, and, and we can worship the way we worship and follow the way we do and pray and praise the way we do, is that we really believe that Jesus Uh, was a real man who came to earth, who lived among us, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was put in a tomb, and on the third day rose again. We believe that he ascended into heaven before a large number of people who saw that happen and is now today seated at the right hand of God. We believe in his claims that he is the Son of God. And we believe that all this stuff took place and that it did not happen in obscurity, but that these things happened in front of an awful lot of people. Matthew was an eyewitness, John was an eyewitness, Mark interviewed Peter, Luke interviewed a whole bunch of people to get the information he got about Jesus. And they all reached the same conclusion, that the life and the miracles of Jesus were were true, could be backed up, that they are a part of ancient history, and that is why we believe and that is why we worship. And the challenge that we face every day of our life is, Lord, can I move beyond my circumstances and get to a place where my faith is solely in you and not pinned on the things that are happening around me? See, here's the good news. Once we place our focus there and once our faith is found there, then everything is okay because as long as we know that there is a God and as long as we know that he came and loved us enough to die for us, then we can trust him when we have jobs and when we don't have jobs. We can trust him when we're hungry and when we're not hungry. We can trust him when we have friends and when we don't have friends. 
We, we can trust him when the things that we want in life we have, and we can trust him when we don't have the things in life that we want to have. He never changes. And he is the foundation and the focus of our faith. And when all of our circumstances and, and everything that we see around us shout at us sometimes, there is no God, and if there is a God, he doesn't love you, and he doesn't care about you, we can stay steady. Because the foundation of our faith is not in our ability to interpret what's going on around us. The foundation of our faith is in the person of Jesus. We're going to be in Hebrews for several weeks. Just to remind you what the book of Hebrews is about, there was a group of Jewish people who were being converted to Christianity, and in the process of being converted to Christianity, they were being ostracized in their community. They weren't invited to synagogue. They weren't welcome in synagogue. They, 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 people who used to walk and work with them did not want to walk and work with them anymore. Their kids were were treated differently by the other kids. They didn't have the same playmates they used to have. If those people had businesses where they sold goods, people didn't buy those goods from them anymore, and they began to suffer a great financial hardship. They were lonely. They were basically kicked out of every social group that you could think of. They, they were suffering financially and in a business sense because of their faith, and in every way, they were really having a hard time. Their circumstances would dictate, if they were just looking at circumstances, would have said, you know, I'm not really sure about how this whole Jesus thing's going to work out because ever since I said yes to Jesus, uh, my life's kind of gone downhill. And a lot of these people who had been told that Jesus is coming and they kind of thought that was going to be a soon thing, like at the end of the summer, and Jesus hasn't come back yet, and now what do I do? And, you know, it, Judaism didn't necessarily fulfill everything that Jesus is fulfilling for me, but when I was just in Judaism by itself, no Jesus... I had friends. I had people buying goods for me, and I had a place where I could send my kids and know that they would be welcomed and a part of things. And we weren't going bankrupt when we were in Judaism, but now that we've come to this whole Jesus thing, it's all changed, and it's all different, and it's hard. And we're starting to wonder, is it really real, and, and, it, and, and is it possible that we've made a huge mistake? And so maybe we should just go back to Judaism. And they're thinking, you know, maybe this isn't such a good deal after all. If God is a good, loving, and powerful God, then why are all these bad things happening to us? And the message of the Hebrew writer to those people is the same message that we are examining as we go through this series, which is you cannot place your faith in your circumstances. Because if you do, I mean, do you know anybody in your life who has gone through life and not gone through some hard times, has not seen some things that you would not go to the Coke machine of life and push the button and say, I want that. Give me that. No. We all go through stuff. We all have things. We all encounter trouble and difficulties and pain and loss and, and, and hardship and, and wondering why. And if, if we're ever going to believe in God and that belief in God is going to be fueled by everything going great, then nobody will believe in God because we're all going to go through a period where it doesn't work, where, where our circumstances aren't conducive to belief and faith. And so what you have to say is there's got to be something that is steady and strong and doesn't move because our circumstances change. Our circumstances move. Think of yourself as a boat, and you're going to moor your boat to something are you tied off to something solid or are you tied off to something that's moving that's really not and when the wind comes it's not going to keep your boat in the same place 
And when we tie our hope and our faith to our circumstances, that's the equivalent of taking our boat and tying it to something that's not really solid. And when the wind blows, it blows us away. But if you pull up to the dock and you tie off to something that is driven into the ground deep and you know when the wind blows, your boat will not leave that post. That's what it is to believe in Jesus. That's what it is to place your faith and your trust in Christ, that thing that does not move. He begins chapter 12 with some things that he has said in chapter 11, and we'll, we're going to go backwards a little bit. We'll look at chapter 11 next week. But he begins chapter 12 like this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and let's just stop right there and talk about these witnesses for a minute. He talks about them in chapter 11, and the reason he talks about these people is to say, look, I know that you don't have any circumstances that you can really sink your faith into. I know that life is hard for you, and I know you are tempted to disbelief. I know that. But I'm telling you about some people that came before you, this cloud of witnesses, these people named Noah and David and Moses. And even though they didn't have a whole lot they could sink their faith into in terms of circumstances, if you looked at their circumstances, you would say, Moses, why do you believe in God? There's nothing that would lead us to believe that God loves you. That there was a time in David's life when he was on the run for his very life in fear that someone wanted to kill him. And we would look at those circumstances and say, God, David, it looks like God has abandoned you, and it looks like whatever God you believe in isn't really there. Why are you on the run like that? Why are you fearing for your life? Noah, what is going on? I mean, it doesn't look like, you know, all these people are laughing at you and, and making fun of you, and you're building this great big monstrosity of a boat for something called a flood that they have no idea what that is. And, and, and there's nothing for you to sink your faith into. Why are you going through this? Why are you doing this? And so he writes to say, look, there are other people who came before you who had circumstances that if you looked around, you would say, I don't know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. It looks like there's nothing for you to sink your faith into if you're just looking at circumstances. But these people that came before, this cloud of witnesses, they were faithful. And God was faithful. They didn't anchor themselves to their circumstances. They anchored themselves to God. They kept their eyes on God. And they were faithful to him. And because they were faithful to him, God was faithful to them. And he says to you and he says to me, I want you to be faithful like they were faithful. I want you to hold tight the way they held tight. Our faith rests in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on into some detail. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. He compares us to a, he compares the Christian life to a race, and, a, and, and the picture here is a picture of someone about to begin that race and he's wearing things that are going to hinder him from being successful. He's wearing things that are going to get in the way, that, that, that aren't going to be conducive to a, a fast race. And he says, look, in, instead of complaining about how difficult it is for you to run, why don't you change up some of the things that you're trying to run in and maybe lose some of those things, and in the process you're going to be able to run so much better, so much freer and, and, and much easier. And he says, you're, you know, you're packing stuff with you that is unnecessary, that is going to make this more difficult for you. It would be like jogging down the road if you were inclined to jog, and I'm 
one of these people that believes that the only reason you should jog is if a bear is chasing you. And then it wouldn't be a jog, it would be a sprint. But pretend you're jogging down the road and you come up on someone else and they're jogging and they're not even, and you're not even, you know, a great jogger, but you come up on them and you're going way faster than them. And you start to look at them and you realize, well, you know, they got cowboy boots on, they got a sweatshirt on, and they're running in jeans. And as you run by, he says something to the effect of, boy, I wish I could run as fast as you can run. Well, you wouldn't just let that go, would you? You would stop. And you would look at him and you would say, you know what, the first thing that I would suggest if you want to run as fast as I'm running is that you lose those cowboy boots because those are not conducive to speed. If you want to run better and more comfortably, I would suggest a nice pair of running shoes. Maybe take that sweatshirt off. You're going to get heated in that. That's not something that you want to run in. Jeans aren't the best thing. If you've got a pair of shorts, that'd be great. Put those on and run in those. But, but you're not going to run very far and very fast if you're dressed in, in sweatshirt and jeans and a cowboy boots. I mean, there are some obvious things that we would say to that runner that he could do to make him run easier. And one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, there are some things that you are doing that if you would lose some of those things, it would help you in this process of trying to be faithful to God. One of the reasons that it's so difficult to get our eyes off our circumstances many times is that there might be some hindrances to faith in our life and we need to identify them and deal with them and get rid of them. Ask the question, God, why is it when the bottom falls out, I doubt you? Is, is there something that I'm doing wrong? Is there, is there somebody that I'm spending time with that I shouldn't? Is there some way of thinking in me that is wrong that causes me to doubt you? What is it in my life that I could find that when it starts to go south on me, these are the things that prod me to unbelief. And if you can find what those are, then you need to take a surgeon's scalpel and cut those things out and say, you know what, those things are a hindrance to my faith. For some, it's fear. Maybe you're afraid to trust God with your whole life because you're afraid you're going to miss something. I, a lot of people go through that. Man, I don't... You know, I, want, I don't want to give up my old way of life because I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. You know, they're miserable. They hate their old life. They hate the way they feel. They hate feeling hopeless like that. They come to Christ, but they want to cling to that. And Christ is saying, look, there's so much more out here. I want to offer you something new and beautiful and different and his life and freedom and breath and, and, and you know, you can move. And, and, but yet we, we, we don't want to give that up oftentimes because we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. It's hard to trust God. Maybe it's impossible to trust God when you're holding out on him. Maybe that is the hindrance in your life. Maybe you're here today and you you have some relationships in your life and they're they're getting in the way of your faith. Maybe you work with someone or you hang out with someone. Maybe you date someone. That every time something goes south in your world, what they start to do is point and say, see, I don't know why you believe in God. You got all that stuff going on. If God loved you, then you, you wouldn't have all that stuff. You talk about, you're all, you know, thump your Bible and go to church all the time. But all I can see is that you got trouble in your life. And if you would just, you know, I don't understand the whole belief in God thing. If you've got somebody that talks to you that way, it'd be a good idea to put some distance between you and them. Because when things go bad, all they do is point and, at all the holes in your armor, and it's possible that you need to end a relationship for the sake of your faith. 
But see, our tendency is to not do a self-examination. Our tendency is to say, you know, just close our eyes real hard and, and just say, I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to trust. You know, I'm just going to trust him. I'm just going to trust him. Because somewhere you heard some Bible preacher on TV telling you that that's the key to everything is you just got to believe harder. You just got to trust more and believe harder. And that it's a, you know, it's, it's just something that you're not doing. And you just, if you just would close your eyes and work harder and trust harder, that all this will get better. We're going to, in the coming weeks, talk about some of that. And God is saying, look, you, you don't have to gut it out. Just ask some simple questions. Are there some things in my life that I could do without that would make this a lot easier for me? And once you identify what those things are, then deal with those things and cut those things out. Because that's the only way you're going to have a faith that really endures. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It is the picture of a runner who is running and he's tripped up by something around his ankles, wire or vines or something that will not let him take long strides and it trips him up. And the writer of Hebrews compares this to sin, and he says the reason is it is impossible. It is impossible to trust someone you are arguing and fighting with. You're just not going to do it. And sin is rebellion, and it is impossible to trust someone you are in rebellion against. We've all tried this. God, increase my faith. I want you to increase my faith. I want you to make my faith grow, but don't mess with my relationships. God, I, I want to be a strong, committed Christian, and I want to really learn what it is to trust you, but don't mess with my money. Don't ask me for money. Don't give me any sermons about money. I don't want to hear anything about money. God, I want to grow, but here are the areas of my life that are off limits to you, and you can't have these, and I'm not going to trust you with these. These are mine. And God says it doesn't work like that. The sins, the relationships, and the areas that, keep, that we keep off limits to God weaken our faith those things that we keep off limits to god weaken our faith and when we run into circumstances that are not favorable for us if we are harboring things that are not good for us it will tempt us to unbelief i've never done this i've never been trained to to do life-saving stuff where you swim out and you get someone myra when she was in college she she took several semesters of, of uh, I don't know what you call it, lifeguarding school, I guess, and she was able to, no bigger than she is, she could go save big Hulkamaniac, big muscular guys and pull them into, the, it was amazing. I, I, we had a contest one time, we went to the pool together and she had to do laps and she had to, uh, 50 or 75 laps or something like that and I'm talking all tough like, that ain't nothing, I ain't swim with you. She said, you just come get in the pool and swim with me. And about two laps in, I'm like, oh, I'll catch you on the backside. You know, she's 50 laps, man. She just swam like crazy. I was wasted. But I'm told that if you're going to swim up to someone like in the ocean to save them and they're flailing about, that you are ill-advised to swim up to them and try to save them in that condition. That you need to let them burn off some of that energy. You need to let them... Um, maybe even go under a couple of times. Let them expend some of their energy because if you swim up to them and try to 
wrap around them and save them, they're going to take you down too. I, I say that to say this. In the same way, you cannot trust a God that you're in rebellion against. When you swim up to someone, you're going to try and save them. They rebel against it. You can't save someone like that. And you can't, you, because they don't trust you. And you can't, if, if you're the one that's drowning and you don't trust the person coming to save, then you, you never give them the opportunity to help you. And when we rebel against God, that's really what we're doing. We're fighting against him and God says, you know what, I, I really can't help you until you stop rebelling against me. And you're never going to have a strong faith until at some point you deal with the sin in your life that entangles you and causes you to be tripped up. And we've all got that. We've all got stuff where we say, no, God, this is mine. This is off limits, and I don't want you to have that. I don't want you to touch that. And God says, you know, until I have control of that, I really don't have control of you. God says, you can't trust me and rebel against me at the same time. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, if you've got a pen in your hands and you've got your Bible, I hope, you, hope you're ready to write, because gonna, we're going to get into a couple of little Greek things here, and it's kind of cool the way some of these verses get interpreted. This little phrase, fix our eyes on Jesus, is actually a negative phrase in Greek. It's, it, what it means is, it literally means, let us turn away to Jesus. Let us turn away to Jesus. In, in other words, it, it, it paints the picture of someone who's focused here, and he's saying, you know, you, you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to turn away to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, supporting the idea once again that it is Christ who is the foundation of our faith. Then he gives us another word picture. The author and perfecter, or another word maybe you could use there is finisher, the author and finisher of our faith, meaning that Jesus is the one who started the ball rolling, this whole faith thing, and Jesus is the one that one day is going to wrap this whole thing up. And once again, the author is saying, you know, forget your circumstances, put your eyes on Jesus, because he's the one that started it, he's the one that's going to wrap it all up. There is a real God, he sent his son Jesus, he's coming again, and in the context of your suffering... If you will just focus on Jesus, then all these other things are going to begin to take care of themselves. The problem is we get caught in the middle. We believe that Jesus started everything, and we believe that Jesus is going to come back, but that doesn't help us a whole lot right now. We go through hard times, and it's like, you know, God, that's great. You sent Jesus, and my sins are taken away, and I know he's coming again someday, but right now, I don't have enough money. Right now, I can't afford insurance. Right now, I can't make the house payment. Right now, I got a kid going to school, can't pay for it. Right now, you know, whatever your thing is, you're looking at the circumstances and you're saying, you know, this doesn't help me a whole lot right now. And we got, kind of get caught up in this middle part. And the author says, really, you, you've only got one hope. And that is to focus on Jesus, because if you focus in on your circumstances, it is over. You will give up. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus, cluing into who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do, he says, that will build in you enduring faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for, and if you have a pen in your hand, which is circle that word for, because that's an important word, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Now, you read that passage, and it's easy to assume that Jesus died for us, and, and we assume that, that the reason Jesus died for us was for the joy set before him, that, that somehow if he did that, he got to be with God. He got to sit at the right hand of God. That here's Jesus, one day he's sitting at the right hand of God, then he has to come to earth and go through everything that he goes through here, and if he'll just go through all that, and he'll, you know, it's kind of like the gauntlet. If he'll just run the gauntlet, he gets to go back and be with God and have that joy. And we kind of read that passage, and it's easy for us to take away from it that, that Jesus is somehow rewarded for his work on the cross. That for the joy he died on the cross, for the joy of sitting at the right hand of God, he went through all of that. But that is not what this verse means. There's a, a little common Greek word that gets used all through the New Testament uh, that is usually translated for, and that word is gar. And, and you, a lot of places in the New Testament where you come across that word for, it's, it's the word gar. And it's, it's very common. But the problem is the word for here is not translated with the word gar. That's not the word that, that is used. The word is a word that we have in English, uh, you would pronounce it in Greek, auntie. But we use the word anti. And, and, and the, if you were to look this up in Greek, this passage in Greek, and you came to that word for, you would find that it says anti, which means opposed to or against something. In Greek, it is used figuratively to interpret something as instead of. So in light of that, here is a way that we might interpret this passage, and this is just a paraphrase, who instead of receiving and experiencing the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The verse implies and is supported by the whole New Testament that Jesus, this is important, that Jesus chose, chose, okay, chose, to die for you and me, chose it. That he wasn't forced, that he wasn't coerced, that God didn't dang, dangle a, can, a, a, a candle. A, a, yeah, I chase candles all the time. A carrot out in front of him and say, if you will just do what I want you to do, then you can have this. We get lulled into thinking that that's why Jesus went through everything he went through. The word endure means to hang back. Why, why did God hang back? The reason he stayed back on this earth was not to receive some kind of reward from God. was not to, so that, you know, if he did everything just right, God says, okay, now you get to come spend the rest of your time with me. The verse implies that Jesus Christ willingly chose to die for us. He put off what was rightfully his. It was rightfully his to be at the right hand of God. And he put it off. And the message that he was trying to send as he put off what was rightfully his was, I care for you, I love you, you are important to me, I'm involved in your life, I see your pain, God didn't make me die for you, I didn't die for you because I was supposed to, or because it was the right thing to do, or because somebody made me, I died for you because I love you. And we lose sight of that. And that should settle once and for all. My care and my faithfulness in your life is what, God, what Jesus would say. You know, what, that, that you understand that I died for you, it should solve any question you've got about whether or not I love you and care about you and what you're going through in your life. The, 
Do you know why it's so important that putting your faith in Christ is more important than, than putting your, your faith in your circumstances? Because when things go horribly wrong, and they will, I, I said in a sermon once before, you live on a cursed planet, and every day something bad doesn't happen to you, you got away with something. This is a cursed place. It's been cursed since the fall of man, and until Jesus comes back, we are, in, we are in the middle of sin and stuff going on and decisions that other people make and, and something somebody does over here has a negative impact on us and every day something bad doesn't happen to us, we got away with something. But it's, it's important for us to be able to say, you know, I know my circumstances don't look all that good, but, and I know it looks like he's abandoned me, but I know that God has my back. I know that, that my eyes are fixed on something that does not move. And these circumstances are moving. These circumstances are changing. And it may look bad for me now, but it's not always going to look bad for me. And things are going to change in my world. And, and you know, who knows what will be going on two years from now with me or five years from now with me. And, and chances are good it's not going to be this. This is fluid. This moves. If someone chooses to give their life for you, you can rest assured they love you. And they wouldn't dream of forgetting about you. Consider him, verse 3, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come on, guys, quit losing heart and quit growing weary. That's not what he says. Come on, buck up, just have more faith. No, he says, if, if you will fix your eyes on Jesus, the outcome of that is you won't grow weary and you won't lose heart. If you fix your eyes on Jesus and not on what's going on around you, you will press through. You will not give up. You will not doubt God. You will not be, come to a place where you feel weary. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, the pleasures of life will not cause you to drift away from faith. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, when it's all said and done, your faith will endure. The goal isn't to try to just have faith. We'll talk about that next week. The goal is focusing on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And when we do that, our faith is going to endure. If you're here today and you're in the category of, you know, Brett, uh, you know, I haven't said anything, and I, you just have no idea the emails that I get sent. <laughs> um. I hear from a lot of you. I hear from you sometimes when, when life is not going real good and, and you, you, you're ready to give up and you know that you shouldn't give up, but you're scared and you're exasperated and you're worn out and you're frustrated. And you're mad at God, but you really don't want to admit that you're mad at God. But you're kind of asking, okay, but Brett, if God loves me, then why? Why, why did this happen? You know, I, and, and it's not that you're blaming me or blaming anybody else, but you're just, I, I guess you just feel like you can ask those questions of me, and you can. Doesn't mean I have the answer. But you're always welcome to ask those questions, and you're welcome to send those kind of emails because you need some place to send them. But I read those emails. <clears throat> And I hear in you, I'm just ready to quit. 
I'm just ready to give up. This is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. Can I just suggest to you that when you get to a place, and I got one of these emails yesterday, and I literally do not know what to say back to this email. I got nothing that'll help them other than this. Get your Bible. Get alone with God. Get in a quiet place, and you say, God, I'm going to stay here until my eyes are fixed on you and not my circumstances, and I'm going to anchor to you because you're solid and you don't move, and I'm going to let the wind blow, and I'm just going to cling to you. Listen, that is your only hope of keeping your sanity and your faith when the wind starts to blow. If you've got your eyes fixed on your circumstances, you're going to get weary, and you're going to give up, and you're going to let go. And your faith is going to suffer if, you, if it doesn't go away altogether. And what will happen is that the love of God, as demonstrated on the cross, will begin to sink into your heart and your emotions. And you will come away overwhelmed at the love that God has for you. And the fact that Jesus Christ chose to go to a cross for you. And your doubt and your fear and your anticipation will subside and you'll know that no matter how bad things get I have not been abandoned by my heavenly father you know who is the hardest for, the, for them to fix their eyes on Jesus you know it's, it's not the person that's going through hardship really it's the person who has everything they need it's the person who when they pray they pray things like God I've got all the stuff I need I want to thank you for my car and my house my boat, my second vacation home, and my 2.5 kids, and my health, and all these things. We, we, and we thank God for things. But do we ever just stop and say, God, I want to just thank you for, for Jesus. Because without him, I am lost. Without him, I got nothing. Without him, I, I don't want to give me all the money in the world. But without Jesus, it means nothing. When life is full of problems, there's no blessing. God, you're so good, and and then all the blessings disappear, and it's, well, what's this? You know, what happened? Where, where's God? Maybe there is no God. I don't think he loves me. I think he's forgotten about me. See, when life is good and when life is bad, we have to do what is necessary to get focused on the person of Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition. Now, do you know what the word consider means? It's a, it's a mathematical term. It means to sum it all up. That, that when you add it all up, when you put it all together, and as you do, as you fix your eyes on Jesus and you endure and you handle it, you'll be okay because you know there is a God who loves you so much and cares for you. I want to give you three words this morning as we close that will help you practically fix your eyes on Jesus. Three things that will help you to to kind of drill down, and, 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 and I'm just going to be honest with you. If you are at a point right now where you feel weary, if you're at a point where you're thinking, man, Brett, I, you know, this, this sermon better be good because I, I can't hang on much longer. These three words are going to help you. But I'm just going to tell you, you are going to be tempted to want to do the opposite of the first two things I'm going to want to say because these are not intuitive things when you go through hardship. These are not things that when you go through hardship, you think, oh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. These are going to be the opposite of that. But I want to challenge you to press through and to do these three things. 
to help you cling to Jesus and not your circumstances. The three things are listen, fellowship, and worship. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. My faith grows and is bolstered, not by some internal thing that I do, not by me going, I'm just going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. That's not where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing. It comes from hearing and listening as God's word is preached. That's where it comes from. It comes from listening to what God says when you're in quiet time and you've got your Bible open and you're reading. God speaks to you there. Faith comes by hearing, listening. That's why the best thing that a person who's going through hardship, the best thing they can do is get alone with their Bible, open it up, and just start reading it. And you think, Brett, that's the last thing I want to do when I go through hardship. I understand that. But do you know how many stories I've heard about people who... who didn't even really care that much about the Bible, and that, but they, they just started reading it, and they read it, they, were just for faith, they just kept reading it, and then one day, click. Everything changed, and the whole world changed because, oh man, I get it. People who didn't even believe in God came to Christ because they got into this book and they started reading, and it just, faith comes by hearing. So you have to listen. You've got to listen. But what happens is we go through hardship and hard times, and we shut down, and we don't want to hear, don't talk to me about God. And if you even get a sense that God's speaking to you, ah, no, not till, not till you make things better. You make things better, I'll listen. Till then, don't want to hear from you. So the first thing is listen. Second thing is fellowship. You ever notice that when you drift away from church, and you know, I think we've all done that. You know, we've all had that thing where you just don't get in the habit of going, or you just—it's easy to to just not go. Um, that's our default, I think, is to not go. But have you ever noticed that when you do that, your faith begins to diminish, and you'll come to the place where you—you know—it's possible that you could not go for so long that a person—I've heard this from people—you know—you you don't see them. You see them at church all the time, then you don't see them anymore. And then one day you run across them and you, something comes up about Jesus. Well, you know, I don't really know if I believe in Jesus anymore. Oh, really? Did you do some analytical study and, and come to the conclusion that Jesus didn't die on a cross and raise from the dead? No, I didn't do any of that. Well, why, what makes you think there's no Jesus? Well, I'm just not sure that I believe in Jesus anymore. When was the last time you went to church? Well, it's been about two years. Oh. They didn't do a study. They didn't do... Uh, anything analytical they just drifted away number three is worship worship is god's way of touching us emotionally worship is what god uses to connect um, emotionally with what's going on analytically see that's why it's important that we uh, have both singing and a sermon that's why it's important that we have teaching and some singing because what i'm doing is the analytical part what i'm doing is the the, the educational, you know, it's, it's tangible, it's, you know, it's that, um, there's not a lot of emotion to this thing, but when we sing, and a lot of times, I see it a lot of times when we, when we do the, the teaching part, and then I come down here and we sing, and Kyle fires up the band, I can see it on you sometimes, this thing that says, God, I want to feel your presence. I want to know that you're here, and, and as I'm singing these songs, I'm connected emotionally to you. 
Worship is the, the emotional thing that God uses to finally connect all the dots. So don't abandon that part. Listen, fellowship, and worship. I want to tell you a story. This will be quick, and then we'll close. There was a, a husband and his wife, and they wanted a child. And naturally, because the husband wanted to prolong his family name, he was hoping for a boy. And so, you know, they prayed to God, please, God, give us a son. Please give us a son. And it took a while, but eventually she became pregnant, and sure enough, she gave birth, and lo, it was a son. It's great. Well, there was a problem. That son was born blind. And the culture that they lived in kind of had as a philosophy about it that if you had a child that was born with some disease or some problem, that it was someone's fault. It was either the child's fault, but the child was newborn. It couldn't really be his fault. So by default, it was kind of looked at as the mother or the father or someone in that family had done something they weren't supposed to do. Otherwise, that child wouldn't have been born that way. And so what was this joyous occasion suddenly went sour when they realized our son is blind. And they started to think about, you know, what does this mean? I mean, this, the, you know, how are, how are we going to be looked at? And while people on the outside probably tried to console them and make them feel better, you know, it's going to be okay. We'll, we'll help you. I mean, it's going to be, you're going to have more trouble than the regular parent, but we'll help you get through it. But silently they wondered if when they went to their own house, they, they talked about him and thought, I wonder who sinned, him or her. I wonder who made the mistake. I wonder who did the bad thing that caused their son to be born blind. And they would take their little boy to synagogue and, and they would walk to the synagogue and as they did, they would walk past all the blind beggars that were there lined up together and they both knew as they went past, one day our son is going to have to take his place among those people. And it just broke their heart. And life went on and they would you know, maybe eat dinner at night and as they would sit and eat dinner, they would look at their blind son and he would wonder in his mind, I wonder what I did. And God, why have you taken it out on him? Why are you blaming him? Why don't you just punish me? And then his thoughts went to his wife, or God, what possibly could she have done that I don't know about that's caused my son to be born blind? And meanwhile, she's sitting over on her side of the table thinking the same things. What have I done, God, that you've blamed my son for it? Or worse yet, what has he done that I don't know about? And finally it happened one day on the way to work, the father took his son by the hand and led him and dropped him off at the beggar's gate and left him there with a wooden cup in his hand to hope somebody would pass by and give him something in his little wooden cup and he would come by and gather him up, the dad would come by and gather him up on the way home. And that's what his life became. And then one day, this blind man heard a commotion and he heard something a little different and he, and he heard a question that made him angry because it was a question he had heard many times in his life by this point the question was rabbi who sinned this man or his parents and then he heard the kindest most gentle voice he's ever heard in his life and the words were this. Neither he nor his parents have sinned. 
But this has happened so that the glory of God might be shown in his life. And then he felt two hands take him on either side of his face. And it's possible that he braced himself to be hit. He didn't know what was coming next. And then he felt this cool, moist substance being put on his eyes. And then that gentle voice said to him, Go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So that's what he did. He made his way to the pool of Siloam with a little help. And he passed by some people who maybe were washing clothes or washing their kids or doing whatever they did in that pool. And he was just a very nondescript person, didn't stand out in any way. And he went and dipped himself down, probably without anybody even looking at him. And he washed his eyes. And it is possible that the first image he saw when he regained his sight was his own face, his reflection in that water. And he could see. And you just wonder if when he saw that, he heard echoing in his mind what that kind, gentle voice had said. This has happened in his life so that the power of God could be demonstrated. I, I don't know what God's up to most of the time. I get these emails from you. I don't know what God's trying to do in your world. But I know God loves you. And I know God chose to die for you. And I know that a God who would choose to die for you and me will not forget us, will not abandon us, and we have got to place our faith in him and not our circumstances. He does not change. Our circumstances change all the time. So this week, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. For Jesus. Not for our things, not, not for what you've given to us, not for our circumstances, good or bad. We, we thank you for Jesus. Because when the wind blows, and it most certainly will, we can rivet our eyes on him, and we can know he chose to die for us. And anyone who would choose to die for us is not going to leave us hanging. So God, this week, when our circumstances are good, may we return to Jesus. When our circumstances are poor, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we ignore the scoffers and may we ignore those people in our life who are trying to show us how God has forgotten us somehow. And may we just cling to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to get our Bibles and just live in it and let you speak to us over and over us to get to a place where we don't move until our eyes are fixed, locked on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we love you. Times are hard. Life is hard. We love you. It is in the precious name of Jesus that we pray.